Chapter 8, Dispute Resolution, Part 3 Contract Tip Basic Elements of Every Arbitration Provision All arbitration provisions should include these elements. The dispute subject to arbitration, the administering entity, the entity's rules, the number of arbitrators, the location, and the language. But you may not want to stop there. The beauty of arbitration is that you can design the process to fit your needs. Here are three other provisions to consider including. One, law governing the proceedings. The contract's governing law applies to substantive contractual claims, but not procedural matters during the arbitration. Those typically are governed by local law, where the arbitration is held. Consider identifying the law governing the arbitration if you want something different. 2. Confidentiality Some arbitration rules do not require the parties to keep proceedings confidential. If the chosen arbitration institution does not require confidentiality, consider adding it to your provision. 3. Attorney's fees If you prefer each party pay its expenses or want the losing party to reimburse the other, you should say so in your provision. Otherwise, the arbitrators will rely on applicable laws, rules, and discretion. Contract tip. Nexus in arbitration provisions. Contract parties can design customized arbitration process. A critical but often overlooked part of that design is the nexus. Nexus means the connection between two things. In an arbitration clause, nexus identifies the claims that the parties commit to resolving using arbitration. The most common nexus phrase I see is the very broad arising from or relating to. Most parties prefer to have everything resolved in the same proceeding. Courts in the U.S. have found that the phrase covers disputes based on fraud, quasi-contract, and unfair trade practices. But we can't be sure that the court that hears a particular case will include everything. Some courts have found that this broad nexus phrase does not cover claims relating to the relationship independent of the contract. Less common is the narrower arising from. Courts have interpreted this and similar narrower phrases as limiting coverage to contract-based claims. But again, not always. Some courts still interpret that narrower phrases as including torts that arise from the contract. While we can't guarantee that the court will interpret it exactly as we intended it, we can establish our preference for a broader or narrower approach by using the right nexus phrase. Contract tip. Choosing an arbitration location. Every arbitration clause should identify where the arbitration proceedings will take place. The most common approach I see contract negotiators use is to select a major city that is not in either party's home state or country. I knew one lawyer who selected the location based on which city she preferred to visit. I don't recommend that. Because the arbitration location matters. It can mean the difference between your client's success or defeat.
Here are four things to consider as you decide where to have the arbitration. One, location of the business, operations, witnesses, and evidence. Consider what is required to conduct the arbitration in a distant location. You may face a more significant burden or higher costs if it is far from the business personnel and operations related to the contract. Two, local courts. You may need to call on local courts to enforce the choice of arbitration, provide equitable relief, or award provisional remedies. Consider whether you can count on the jurisdiction's court system to provide the rulings promptly. Three, local counsel. You may need to engage with local counsel in that location to navigate the local courts. Does your client have relationships with counsel in that area? Four, governing law. Consider whether the arbitration should be held in the same jurisdiction as the contract's governing law. If not, the parties may find themselves advocating in an unfamiliar court system about laws with which the judges and staff are unfamiliar. Contract tip, selecting the number of arbitrators. If the contract requires the parties to submit disputes to arbitration, the contract also should identify the number of arbitrators. My best advice, don't choose two. The standard options are one and three. Each has pros and cons. Choosing a single arbitrator offers an easier, faster, and less expensive arbitration process. It is faster and easier because the single arbitrator makes the decisions and doesn't have to spend time accommodating the different perspectives of the other arbitrators. And it is less expensive because you need the time and fees of one person instead of three. But choosing three arbitrators may be a better choice for some cases, despite being harder, slower, and more expensive. Some believe you have more assurance with three arbitrators that the decision will reflect the rule of law applied to the facts because they serve as checks on each other. The risk of arbitrary ruling is a big factor in my decision because there's no appeal of arbitration decisions. I prefer to use three arbitrators in complex, high-value, high-risk deals. Otherwise, I use one. Contract tip. Arbitration confidentiality. Many people cite confidentiality as a reason they prefer arbitration over litigation. They assume that arbitration rules always restrict the parties from publicity disclosing what is shared and discussed in the proceedings. But that's not a correct assumption. Whether the information exchanged or discussed is subject to confidentiality obligations depends on the terms of the agreement and the rules of the selected arbitration tribunal. Some arbitration tribunals require the parties to keep the information and award confidential. Other institutions impose confidentiality obligations only on the arbitrators. The arbitrators may order the parties to keep information confidential, but the arbitrators are on no, under no obligation to do so. My advice is not to count on the rules providing the protection you need. If confidentiality is important, 
add a confidentiality obligation as part of your arbitration provision. You can do this even if the rules of the selected tribunal already require confidentiality. That way you're protected if the rules change or the parties end up changing to a different tribunal. Adding specific arbitrator... Contract tip. Adding specific arbitrator qualifications. Contract tip. Adding specific arbitrator qualifications. The best thing about selecting arbitration in your contracts is that you can custom design almost every aspect of your arbitration process. That includes deciding the requirements for your arbitrators. You could require the arbitrators have at least 10 years of construction experience or knowledge of the semiconductor fabrication process. While it is tempting to identify very detailed criteria, take care in how you describe those qualifications. Here are a few things to think about as you draft your arbitrator's qualifications. One, do you need to include it? Adding qualifications may make sense when the contract relates to a very specialized industry or product. But if the contract is a more straightforward good or service, you may not need a specialist. Two, if yes, what kinds of qualifications will you add? Many lawyers add qualifications to ensure the arbitrator is familiar with the industry and type of contract. Others add language expertise or jurisdiction experience. The goal is to select someone better able to understand the dispute than someone without those qualifications. Three, are the criteria included too restrictive? Whatever you choose, consider finding arbitrators to meet the selected criteria. If you require the lawyer is fluent in Spanish and Japanese, licensed in France with at least 10 years in the cryptocurrency industry, you may be out of luck. Contract tip, enforcing arbitration awards against foreign counterparties. After the arbitration panel issues its rulings, then we have to turn to the courts to enforce it. This process gets complicated when the counterparty is based in another country. The good news is that there is a wonderful treaty that supports enforcing awards on other countries. Its full name is the UN Convention on the Recognition and Enforcement of Foreign Arbitral Awards, but most refer to it as the New York Convention. As much as I love the New York Convention, it does have some limitations. Here are three challenges you may face when trying to enforce the awards. One, non-signatory countries. 165 of the 193 United Nations member states signed the New York Convention. If your counterparty is from a non-member state, you cannot rely on this convention for enforcement. Two, public policy exception. The New York Convention allows national courts to refuse to enforce foreign arbitral awards if doing so would violate the country's own public policy. There are no definitions in the treaty on what would fit this standard. Three, locating assets. Even if the New York Convention supports the enforcement of an award, the party seeking to enforce it still has to figure out where to do so. 
It has to identify where the other party has assets. This can be expensive to bring multiple actions in multiple countries and make collection very difficult.